Oh, the poor little kids, they all have to suffer today. I don't see any little kids. I don't see somebody, they all got the word in advance, I think, so. I want to thank uh, Simon and Garfunkel for their uh, rendition of that hymn. That was wonderful. I, I really appreciate that. All of our teens are like, Simon and what? Who's a, what's a, I don't know those people. Before we get going, I have a special thank you. Uh, there was a need within the church the past week, uh, something that, that came up, and and uh, I'm back to school now, and I don't have time to throughout the mornings and the afternoons to, to run around and do things. And uh, so I had to put out the uh, the North Hills bat signal uh, to you know, get some of our superheroes in motion to, to help out and do a few things. So I called uh, Ross and Alois and sent them on a, an important mission, and uh, they uh, were able to do that and to, to serve the church and help some people, and so I thank you for that. Um, you know, it, it just, any any of us would have dropped what we were doing and, and go, but, you know, they have a, a life of mission and service to God, and, and uh, you know, Commissioner Gordon called Batman, you know, so I got to bring in the heavy guns here, so... But thank you for that, and uh, um, so, and also thank you to Neola. She uh, um, worked and did some things to help out at a lot of inconvenience, and that that takes you know time away. And her job's, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty high pressure. So, but uh, I'm I'm thankful for that too. So thank you, kiddo. Okay, uh, well, it's the Labor Day weekend. And uh, like Mark was saying, you know, some of us, uh, a lot of us won't be at work tomorrow. They call it Labor Day, but none of us will actually be laboring, uh, although some of you will be. Uh, how many of you are, uh, are working tomorrow? Oh, two of you. We'll think about you tomorrow while we're sitting around, you know, not doing anything. I'll, I'll remember you guys. So. No, no. <laughs> But Labor Day is a strange holiday. You know, we call it Labor Day, but we try to do as little labor as possible. And most working people have the day off. But it's funny, you know, nobody's ever wished me a happy Labor Day. And we don't give out Labor Day cards. Uh, we don't decorate the house up for Labor Day. We don't give Labor Day gifts. Uh, you know, uh, it, it could be a bad weekend for the church. Everybody wants to travel. Everybody's gone. Everybody wants to see things. But for different people, Labor Day is a, it, it could be a rough day for a lot of factory workers, uh, office workers. You might have the day off, but policemen, they still got to work. Firemen, they're working. Uh, and it can be a tough day. Farmers and ranchers, look, it's just another day to feed the cattle and work in the fields. I, it always used to amaze me. My little sister, uh, Tammy, her, uh, one of her best friends worked on a dairy farm. And it just blew my mind that every day, it didn't matter, they had to go milk the cows. And I can remember as a kid, I'd be like, even Christmas morning? Oh, yeah, we're out there. we got to milk the cows before we... we wow. Before church, yeah, well, you know, yeah, we got to take care of the cows, and I mean, that's a lot of work. You know, in Labor Day for preachers, it's an opportunity to talk about work, so that's what I want to do today. I want to look at this this idea of work, and 
And I want to make the case that work is something very important that uh, is part of God's will for his, his people. Work is something that God intends all of us to be involved in. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's start off with Genesis chapter 2. So we're going all the way back to the beginning. Oh, I shake my head. I look out there and see Chapman. Chappie's sitting there. He gets me all week in class, and then he comes to church, and what's he get? He gets me again. So, poor kid. Oh, well. So Genesis chapter 2, we're talking about, uh, of course, the creation here, and uh, and you know God has 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 done all of the things that He wanted to do, and uh, on the as we we all know, uh, you know, chapter two, verse one. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. So everything's done by the seventh day. Completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which he had done, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, I always think about that, and uh, when we talk about uh, you know, that seventh day, uh, we emphasize the idea of God, he rested. And I got to thinking about that. You know, I don't know that, uh, I don't think God was worn out by his creation. I don't think by this, you know, on the sixth, fifth day, he was like, man, I can make it. I can get there. You know, six days coming, and then on the sixth day, he rests, and or he, he finishes his work, and on the seventh day, oh, man, that just about took it out of me. I'm beat. I think I better rest now. I'm worn out. I, I don't know. I don't see God as being limited by that. I don't see him being worn out. He wasn't beat like, like people are. But I believe he rested because, if you'll notice, he had already created uh, uh, man. Adam had, was in existence. And then God rested. It's almost as if God is saying, look, I need to be a, 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 you know, an example here for, for Adam. I want Adam to see that for a man... Who is, who is my creation. He's created in my image. For you, Adam, rest will be necessary. I've created you in my image, but you're not me, Adam. You're a man. And even in, in a world before sin, he was a human being, which mean, meant that he worked, and he probably got tired. Now, the work that he did was a little bit different than the work after sin comes into the world. But he was a man created in the image of God, which, and to me, that always—it's not like a, 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 you know, God cloned himself. And there, there's Adam. You and I are created in the image of God. What does that mean? We can communicate. We're created as rational beings, supposedly. We can reason. We have intellect. We have will. We have emotion. These are all traits that God has. And in a moral sense, we're like God because he was good. And in Adam, he was sinless. So created in the image of God. But we're not 
created like Superman. I don't think Adam was a Superman. Okay, you know, people were created in a manner in which they get tired, they get worn out, they need a break. But of course, when sin entered the world, God really made us have to work. You think about, you know, some of the uh, the accounts of, of what happened with that, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. The point I want to make, though, is I believe that being created in the image of God includes a need, an inborn need to, to work, to want to create, to fashion something, to, to, we call it industrious behavior. One of my uh, favorite psychologists, a guy by the name of Erickson, uh, talked about that there was a need, especially for uh, elementary students, about that age, all of us, when we were about that age, we develop and uh, have to uh, meet this challenge of either learning to be industrious or we feel inferior. Industriousness means getting the job done, of working, doing something, completing a task, even though you don't want to do it, of putting something together. And you say, look, look what I made. That, that's industrious. Behavior. People who can't do that or are not allowed to do that innately begin to sense inferiority. I can't do that. I can't be successful. I really don't think I'm good at this. I always laughed at my oldest son, Dustin. He used to, he was a great student, but he hated elementary school. He hated it because to him, he said he would come home in third, about the third grade. He'd go, well, another day of manual labor. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, going to school is like going to work at a factory. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you go in there every day, you do the same thing, you make the same thing. We cut things out, we paste it, we glue it. Every day it's something different, but it's the same thing. And I'm like, well, I'm proud of you for getting it done. I, I know you might not like to do that, but that's a good job that you, you put all that stuff together. That's called being industrious. You'll be surprised, maybe not surprised, how many teenagers lack that ability to be industrious. Many kids see things, they don't see a point in doing it, so they won't do it. But one of the things, in order to be, as I tell the boys at school, if you want to be a man, you have to be able to do things that you don't want to do. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it, but the job's got to get done. So let's get to it. And I think that need is part of being created in the image of God. God gave us this need to work, to be industrious, to, to create, to be useful, to do something. To be creative. I was reading an article uh, one of my uh, journals I get, work means so much to us Americans that without it, some people don't want to get out of bed in the morning. That's likely one reason unemployed adults and those not working as much as they would like are twice as likely to be depressed as Americans employed full-time. That's the conclusion of a, uh, a survey of more than 100,000 Americans conducted by Gallup. And the conclusion that it came up with, 16.6% of unemployed Americans are depressed compared to 56 of those who work full-time. 
Self-esteem and self-worth are closely aligned with working. Says psychotherapist Charles Allen, who estimates about 10% of his clients are out of work or worried about losing their job. When you have a job, you have a continuous source of feedback that you are a contributing member of society. That's not to say you go to work thinking, hey, I'm a valued member of society, but it's sort of a subconscious thing. Think about it. We identify ourselves by our work. Hello, nice to meet you. Yes, what do you do for a living? I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm a policeman. I'm a... I'm mean, a whatever. That's kind of how we identify ourselves. Okay? A uh, long time ago, Cheryl Dickerson sponsored me on a, uh, it's called a, an Emmaus walk. I haven't heard a lot about Emmaus the last few years, but it was a wonderful gathering. Uh, geez, there's probably 100 men. We all got together, and I think it was the Methodist, I don't know if it was the Methodist church, church over there, uh, up here on. High Street, across from the Catholic Church. That, that, you know, anyways, we're all shoved in there. And, and one of the first things that happens is they tell you, uh, you know, we're starting the, the thing, no talking. No talking. We want you to silently prepare. So that first night, nobody said a word. And I'm laying around like, who are all these weird people, these men around here, you know? We're all bunking down in, some, down in the basement. And we get up in the morning and we go to breakfast and now they're going to let us talk. But he goes, this, this, uh, the, the person in charge has one ground rule. Nobody's allowed to talk about what they do for a living. You, you can't talk about your job. You can see the look on every, everybody's face. They're looking at each other like, what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> you know, you get a bunch of men together. They want to talk about what they do. For, you can't talk about your job. So, okay, you guys can talk now. I mean, people would talk a little bit. And inevitably, what do you think it went to? If we can't talk about our jobs, fellas, we talk about sports. <laughs> we talk about the sport. How about those Buckeyes this year? <laughs> or something, you know. But you take that away because we closely identify ourselves by the work that we do. Now, we've got to be careful as Christians. I think we need to be careful about basing our Self-worth, I think self-worth and self-esteem are different things, but don't base your self-worth on just work. I'm trying to make the case that work is very important, but we can't allow just the fact that, you know, my job to, to dictate whether I'm worth anything or not. You are worth something because of Jesus, because he sacrificed himself for us. Because of this celebration... You should feel self-worth because Christ gave himself willingly for you because he valued you, because he loved you so that the Father could wrap us up in his grace. But work is something that we all do. Even Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God himself, he worked. He probably... It, the Bible doesn't say exactly, you know, from... Uh, there's a little account of when he was very young and he got lost. Remember, they, they, went to, they went back to pay the tax or whatever for the census, had to sign in or whatever. Jesus disappeared. He's, uh, he's in the temple. 
And he utters the words, you know, why didn't you look here? You know, you knew I had to be about my father's business. He, he, he kind of, I think at that age, knew he was different, special, created by God for a purpose. But until his ministry began, there's really no talk about what he did in there. Except there's one tiny, tiny little clue in the book of Mark. And you don't have to turn there because it's just a, just a brief little thing. Mark chapter 3, Jesus had, had come into town. His disciples were following him. And he went into the synagogue and he started to teach. And many of the listeners, Mark chapter 6 verse 3, Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and, and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus came from a big family. And unlike his brothers and sisters, Jesus was a, a miracle child, of course, created by God. His brothers and sisters were created in the normal fashion with, with Joseph and Mary. They created and had a big family. But even the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who would give his life for us, he spent his time working. Jesus didn't sit around in the temple all day thinking deep thoughts. You know, one of these days, guys. You know, he didn't sit at home and, and tell Mary and Joseph, you know, I am the Son of God. I, I, I don't feel like working today. You know, maybe I could sit at home and... You no. Know. What did he do? He worked. As a carpenter, probably worked with his family, probably worked with Joseph. We don't know what happened to him, but he probably is probably died somewhere early. <laughs> Whatever that is, I keep hearing a bloop. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, she's a teacher. My I'm, my ears are finely tuned to yeah stuff like that. Anyways. You get the point. Jesus, he spent his time working, industrious behavior, getting things done. He's in the workshop, carving, working, putting things together, selling that stuff for money. I'm sure he didn't give it all away. But Jesus was known as a carpenter. He worked with his hands in Joseph's carpenter shop. It's interesting, as Jesus begins his ministry, he chooses working men to be his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. That kind of fishing is not like, it's not bass fishing. You know, where you're sitting out there, yeah, you know, you got the radio going, you're catching some fish. This is hard work. Matthew was a tax collector. Hated by many of the Jews, but still it was work, it was a job, a dangerous job. The Bible doesn't tell us what Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thaddeus, James, Thomas, and Judas did for a living, but I think it's safe to say that they probably had jobs too. They worked. Jesus called them from their labors to become fishers of men. I'm calling you out of your job. Guess what? We're going to go to work. We're going to go to work. We're fishers of men now. Later on, Jesus would get his collection of, of disciples. Now, of course, he had his very close inner circle, the apostles. 
Uh, but, but he had hundreds of disciples. And he at one time sent out a large group of them. And one of the things that he said, you know, as you guys go out and you, you, you know, we begin to get this message out there. Luke chapter 10 verse 7 says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you go out, there will be places you could stay. Don't go from house to house bugging people for this or for that. He didn't want them going from house to house uh, simply you know, begging. He expected his disciples, earn your keep. We're not to be a, uh, uh, you know, something that, that people would look at us and say, well, here come those freeloaders from, you know, they're coming to get us or, or whatever. No. We're going out to work. Now, it's interesting. If work is such a big deal and we're all called to work, I think, and created in God's image, which includes a, a need to, to be industrious, to be active, to be about something, why do people think of work as something bad? I won't lie. Every Sunday night I get into a deep funk. It's, every teacher knows it. Keitha, you probably know it. Karen, she knows, I don't think Karen's here. She, she feels it. Katie, you'll feel it someday. That Sunday night depression. Uh, we got to go to school tomorrow. Used to feel it as a kid. You kids probably still feel it too. Uh, we got to go to school tomorrow. Well, teachers are the same way. You know. Well, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3. And there's something about work that, unfortunately, is a, is a reality. When sin enters the world, work, I think it, it, it's something that will become manageable. It's something that people will still want to do, something people will need to do. But it won't be as pleasant as it could have been. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Now this is after Adam and Eve have, they were, you know, the serpent kind of tricked Eve and she got Adam involved and they, they sinned. And now God's kind of laying down the law with them. Verse 17, Genesis chapter 3. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. Now I'm sure Adam loved to work the land, to till it, to, to, to take care of the Garden of Eden. Work with the animals. I mean, I'm sure. He... But sin enters the world, and God curses the object of man's labor, the ground. Now, the ground will still yield a blessing, but very reluctantly, we're going to have to really work for it. And for many people, they still view work as a curse. 
You know, we work and work at jobs that can sometimes be very unfulfilling. I won't deny that. I wish every day at school was a wonderful day. There are a lot of days. It's not so fun. I go home and cry about it and throw a fit. And you know, my family has to tell me, "Come on, get you're all right. Get go back to work." You, you know. My mom and dad both were uh, factory workers. I was the first tallest to ever get a college degree. Okay, they all made it through high school. That was fine, you know. But I was the first one to ever have a professional job. They were all factory workers. My dad was big in the union. My, uh, he worked at Howard Paper Mill in Urbana. So he made paper. My mother worked at W.B. Marvin's in Urbana. And they built fans and screens. And I can remember my mom at times would come home and say, man, there's just... A, there's got to be more to this. I mean, I sit there all day. Moves. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. This is the sum of my life. Do, 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 do. Ten bucks an hour. And the thing goes by. And, and, and throughout that, they worked hard and they, they, they produced things and, and made a life of it and put food on the table and made sure that I could go to school if I wanted to, and I had everything I, I needed, and actually probably a lot more than I deserved. I think it was my dad one time, there was some guy on TV talking about passion. What is your passion in life? What's your passion? Go get your passion and do it. You only get one chance in life. And my dad's like, passion? I'll tell you what my passion, my passion is just putting food on the table. And I wish I had more time for you know, all these other things. People work hard. We have a need to create, to produce, to work. But work is not always fun. You know, God had Adam work the Garden of, of Eden. Now it really was a, a curse. It became a chore. They were driven out of the Garden now into a, a new land where everything is cursed. The ground is a mess. They have to work it. God would still bless them. He would still provide for their needs, but they would have to work for it. You know, when we're not working, there's a tendency to slip into boredom and restlessness. I think we need work to help us develop into well-adjusted People, I know work is not always fun, but there is something about getting a job done that does provide a sense of accomplishment and a boost to, to self-worth. It's interesting, that boost to our self-worth or our esteem comes after we put in the work, not before. God didn't say, from now on, you'll never get another piece of... of Food, you're not going to grow anything. The wheat will never grow for you. I'm shutting up the ground. God still wanted to bless Adam and Eve, but they were going to have to work for it. And I believe that after they worked and they grew the food and did what they did, there was a sense of accomplishment. Maybe God does still love us. I know we screwed up, but he hasn't forgotten us. 
It's not so much fun anymore clearing the thorns and the thistles and all this other stuff we got to do, but we can still get the job done. The boost comes after they put in the work. I see a lot of kids at school who expect their self-worth and sense of meaning to magically appear before they accomplish anything. There was a coach I uh, had met one time that said, it's not the kids haven't changed. We're the ones who've changed. We're raising a, a generation of kids who, you know, everything in many cases is given to them. They don't earn it. And we expect them to, develop, to, to feel good about themselves. How can you feel good about yourself if you've never accomplished anything? If you've never done anything? One of my favorite educational psychologists, a, a lady by the name of Carol Zweck, she wrote a book uh, about a concept called the growth mindset. And the growth mindset is this idea that we as people have this need and a natural need to want to grow, to better ourselves. Okay? Unfortunately, many times we, uh, we send kids to school, we give them these tests, and uh, just the other day we passed out all our state testing results to all the kids, and they all run home with all their papers. And some of those kids had fantastic results. My... Uh, I'm going to brag on my youngest. He, uh, he was like super accomplished and everything. I was just, wow. Now, according to Carol Zwick, you got to be careful with something like that because if I go home and tell him, wow, you are just so intelligent. Look how smart you are. Look at these scores. Wow, you're the, the smartest. You're, you're way smarter than your brothers and sisters. You're, you're a lot, you're amazing. Sorry, Kayla. We'll come, we'll come back to Kayla here in a second. But according to Zweck, what happens is the more we praise them for just this in, innate thing they have, the less they're actually going to want to work because they don't want to ever risk looking dumb, looking stupid, as the kids would say. What we ought to do is praise the work that they put into it. Man, these are pretty good scores. You really worked your tail off, didn't you? That makes you what? Want to work harder. A lot of, through coaching. Those of you who have coached before, Larry and Jimmy and, and others who have volunteered and have helped coach kids, we'll have athletes that are fantastic. You know they're, they're better than just about any... Kid, you've ever coached? What talent! Those are the kids you got to push the hardest. But so many times we don't. They get a pass. That kid's really good. People want to work. And if they don't work, if they don't produce, if they accomplish nothing, that's not going to help them at all. They're not going to want to work. And we'll wonder as they grow older, why do I feel so worthless? It's because I've never done anything. I've never done anything. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, where are you, Ephesians? Yes, here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, of course, that's in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul starts talking about family relationships a little bit. And he get, there's, a, there's a, a passage here that has always bugged me, and I'll, I'll tell you about it here. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, he, Paul says, Slaves! Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters... Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. It always bothered me because this is a passage that many people throughout history have pointed to. God approves of slavery. We ought to have slaves in the world. See, God didn't have a problem with people owning each other. Of course, slavery was a cultural phenomenon in Greek and Roman culture. Slavery has been a part of many cultures. It was a part of our U.S. history. It's interesting, southern slave owners often quoted that very verse as proof that God wants people placed in chains and treated as slaves. I'm very confident that God does not intend for human beings to be slaves to one another. But like many things, human beings have warped and distorted all kinds of human relationships. For example, the Bible expects women to be submissive to men and men are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That gets screwed up all the time. How screwed up does society work against marriages, against families? You have women who will not take any kind of leadership from men. You have men who will not provide any kind of leadership. Who feel like they ought to be a slave master and they treat their, their wives horribly when they should be treating them like Christ loves the church. All kinds of human relationships are messed up. But people were meant to work and to serve each other, not to be owned by others in the process. Anyways, back to, to Ephesians. We can apply these same principles to our working relationships. Our attitudes towards work. Verse 6. Uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, uh, be obedient, uh, do your thing, not by way of eye service. What in the world is eye service? That's working well only when the boss is watching. Anybody ever do that? You ever see people, work with people that do that? Most of the day they lounge around, don't do, don't do anything, here comes the boss. Ooh, ooh, better get busy. Man, boy, it's been a long day in here, been working hard. Paul warns against that. He goes on, uh, don't be a, a men pleaser. That's working only to promote your welfare, rather than to honor the employer, to honor the Lord. 
He goes on, he talks about render service as to the Lord, not to men. Perhaps you'll get rewarded and receive back what you put into it. Many employers, unfortunately, have attitudes like a, like a slave master. You ever worked with a boss who thought he was the, you know, I'm the boss now. Mark, are you the boss? You're not the boss? You don't get the boss people around? And... I had a job one time. Worked at Logo's Bookstore. Any of you might, some of you might remember Logos Bookstore. is really the only Christian bookstore in town. And as a young Christian, I thought, this is the perfect job. I get to work in a, in a bookstore. I love books anyways, and all these Christian people will be there, and it'll just be amazing. It was the worst job I ever had. I, I worked there for about a year and a half and finally gave it up. It was, it was horrible. What a crew I worked with. What a collection. I mean, uh, so one of my co-workers was Catholic, so she had a big problem with all, the, all this Protestant stuff. I had a, had a couple of charismatics, so they're wanting to run around, you know, doing different things, and hallelujah. And One of the co-owners was a Mennonite. You add her into the mix. I remember the last day of work when I worked there, you know, the, the Catholic wanted to bless me. The, the Charismatics, they wanted to lay hands on me. The Mennonite just kind of stood there and frowned at me. <laughs> it's important to remember when we work, we're doing something that God built us for, to be productive, to work. All right, it's getting late. I'm going to have to skip through a few things here, but, you know, Labor Day is tomorrow. And I would ask everyone to reflect on how, how are you doing your work? Now, what about if you don't have a job? What if you can't get work? What do you do in the meantime? I still believe that God wants us to be industrious, to do something, to create Trusting God to help you find that work. It's not so much about what you do. I don't think God really cares a whole lot about the type of work that we do. He'll use you in any way. Whether I'm a teacher, a firefighter, garbage man, God will use you. But even if we're not employed, we still have work we can do. What about here at the church? There are needs that need done. You might say, well, I, I can't afford the gas then. Well, I'll buy the gas. If you want to, I'll fill her up and if you want to go and minister, work for the Lord. I always used to, when I was a new, uh, new Christian and a lot of the people I respect and love greatly were, frankly, they were probably my age at the time, if not a little older. I mean, I, I got the big 5-0 coming up. And when I started coming here, that been 30 years ago, I think. Holy cow, <laughs> 30 years. I mean, and some of you, I mean, you had been in your late 40s. Russ, you probably like late 40s, early 50s. That's, where, that's the age I'm at now. 
And I always used to laugh, like uh, others, Don Black, somebody I loved dearly. Uh, he was my friend. He would always say things like, we got to get some of these young kids, get them going, so us old folks, we can, we can retire. We can we'll turn it over to them. And I used to think about that, and Don worked for the church right up until the end. He never retired from ministry. Many of you that I love very deeply, that I look up to, you spent your whole lives, the last 30 years, working hard to build this church. Working for the Lord. Being industrious. Doing something for other people. Fulfilling a need that God gives all of us. To be productive. I think we do need new blood. And we're all kind of jumping in and picking up the the slack left by a full-time pastor. and Some of you have done some amazing work. And you have to admit, don't you feel a sense of satisfaction? It's okay to feel that. God made you that way. It's okay to work for the Lord. We'll work within the body of Christ until the day that we, we leave this earth. Uh, I had a conversation with Alice Petrie this week. And she had contacted me about a need, and she didn't know it, but I'm the one who had a need. I'm sitting at work not feeling too good, not too happy. And she contacts me, and we talk briefly, and it reminded me, this is a woman of great faith. This is somebody who has faith and believes in the kingdom of God. I needed that example. That yes, there are Christians out there who live their lives in accordance with the gospel. So whether she knew it or not, she was doing the Lord's work. All things work together for the good, for those who love God. And I was blessed because of that. All of us have a job to do. We all love and serve a wonderful God who gave us this need to want to be productive. So get out there. Find something to do. Excel at your job. Find one thing and do it great this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for that need in all of us to want to produce, to engage in behavior that helps us to, to create, to give, so that we can share it and we can love one another. Father, bless us. Help those who have trouble at work, those who are in need of work. God, we pray that you would hook them up and plug them into a place where they will be able to, to should demonstrate and show their work and that they are a valued person, and that you love them. God bless this church. Help us to be a working church of people who love you. In Jesus' name, amen.